So um, today we're going to continue our Kingdoms and Conflict series. Today's topic is justice. A number of years ago, I was working with a smaller group of people, and there was a situation where, sadly, it's not completely unique in that there was a young woman who lived in this general area. Um, none of us knew her personally or anything, but it kind of gave a, a, a connection. This young woman had gone away, was in her early 20s, and and then going missing. As a lot of those stories kind of go, as things came out, we discovered she'd been murdered in a horrible way. And for some reason, we were like really, uh, especially a particular couple of people in our group, really followed this story. And as the trial and developed and all, found out more about it. And it was one of these things where, as it progressed, like this desire for justice kept growing. And it just led to some really interesting conversations, which, again, it was a unique thing. I know it's happened many times, but it gave me some unique opportunities there. So anyway, with justice, Webster defines justice as the rendering to everyone his due or right, just treatment, merited reward or punishment, and that which is due to one's conduct or motives. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic today with you because it's actually very much at the core of the gospel. And it's something that, at some level, everyone, like my coworkers, senses is necessary. And so, church, what I'd like to really encourage us is, let's use this universal desire for justice to point ones to God. Now, when we see justice, injustice, sorry, we feel upset. Sometimes we maybe feel so upset that we give financially to the offended person or party, or we may join people in something like a demonstration to just show that we're with the offended or people who are being offended or have experienced injustice. Other times we might decide that we're going to reach out to the offender or to people who support the offender and say, this is wrong and, and you shouldn't support this. We may even organize and try to get them to change their behavior by a boycott or something like that. Sometimes we may even demand that some other outside parties step in, like the government, to you know, make this wrong, right this wrong. Sometimes we could feel so frustrated that we could take matters into our own hands and become a vigilante of some kind. So we need to choose carefully how we address justice. And today, it seems that everywhere and in every way that we might try to connect with our larger society, we are encouraged or we're told or we're lectured about what justice should look like. And this goes for all forms of our media, from entertainment and drama to food and sports to politics and government and our schools. So you couldn't escape it if you tried. Not that you should try to escape it, but you're not going to succeed. <laughs> and it's important that we have some understanding as to what's being talked about and what the voices we hear talking intend. Is the justice that we hear so much about, is that the same thing the same kind of justice that we read about in the Bible? Is it the same kind of justice that we long for, you know, inside? And we all feel a desire to be valued. Whether we realize it or not, that's because God gives us value. But in so many situations, our God-given qualities and our God-given gifts, the devil puts a twist on those things which cause us to separate us from him or us from other people. And so, we need to be aware that that's something that's at work. So let, let's consider for a moment the, some of the modern concepts of justice, and then 
and then we'll talk about what God's concept of, of justice is. So when we hear justice today, usually it's accompanied with an adjective of some kind. Broadly, we hear the term social justice, but there are a lot of different social issues under that, such as a couple I've outlined here, have to deal with criminal prosecution and conviction disparities, educational and economic opportunities, racial, gender, lifestyle choice inequalities, and even food and environmental concerns that seem unbalanced. And I must confess that when I first began preparing for this time this morning, I, I had some negative feelings towards a num- number of these justices. Some of them I didn't even know existed until I looked into it a little more. So there's aspects of the social justice movements that are seeking to change our society that really we should you know, be concerned about. But when our neighbor or co-worker says that he or she supports social justice, that may not mean that they support a particular agenda of one group or other. They might not even know what that stand is of a particular group. So we need to be careful about our assumptions when we hear people throw these different terms around. Now, most of the uh, architects and advocates of are, are more interested in controlling the outcomes rather than the opportunities that ones are afforded. So there's this desire to teach and reward, punish and redistribute benefits and wealth and opportunities on the basis of uh, our, our groups, our group identities, rather than on the basis of individual merit or individual needs. And whatever the particular focus of a cause is, many of those advocating for their cause or for the to have justice done in a certain area can be very sincere and, and be very frustrated by a lack of recognition by others that the problem even exists or if, if, the, if the problems are recognized that we're not making progress in solving some of these justice issues. But sadly, also among those, there are people who I would call them opportunists who are just looking to use this situation for their own empowerment. And if you think this is something new, I want you to consider Absalom. In 2 Samuel 15, 4, it says, Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were the judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Now, that sounds like a pretty good quote, right? You know, this guy, he wants justice, but that's not the context. So the context is that he wasn't burdened for justice. He was flattering the people to build support so that he could later usurp his father, King David's throne. So we do have problems, and due to our sinful nature and selfish nature, these things need to be addressed. And they start with us as individuals, and then they move out from there. And God did not cause the problems that I'm talking about, but I'm convinced there are great opportunities to be involved in something he's doing where they exist. And so from here, I'd like for us to um, look at, so what does God say about justice, and what do we do with that? So God has a, a lot to say about justice, and I feel like, and it might make you feel good, and I'm only going to touch the, scratch the surface of this this morning. There's so much there to be said. But being just is one of God's attributes. In Deuteronomy 32, it says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Also in Psalms, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So it's great. God loves justice. It's a part of his, it's the foundation of his throne. 
He doesn't stop there, though. He gives us instructions as to what justice should look like. And there was a, a Dutch theologian named Herman Bavinich who lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and he argued that the Bible's justice is both retributive and reparative. It not only punishes evildoing, but it restores those who are victims of injustice. Now, let's take a look at retributive, the retributive side or the punishing side, another way of saying it. And I found it a really interesting quote for him to say that because I feel like one of the things God is most criticized for these days is for punishing wrongdoing. In fact, if you look, a lot of people criticize God in the Old Testament where they say, well, God came in and he had, he's instructing the Israelites to kill all these people in the land that were in the land before him even though those were people who were like sacrificing their children and doing other horrible things. Also today, a lot of people get upset because God says he's going to punish the um, unjust things that we do in this world, in this lifetime. He, he's called a moral monster for applying this kind of justice by saying he's going to follow through on, on his standards. Now also, also there are a few examples of how God restores the world on the reparative side, so we just covered the um, punishing side. Now, the reparative side or the restorative side, I would say most people would support God in this, right? They'd say, um, it's good, we need to restore things, we, may, we need to make things right. But they would probably argue that we don't really need God to do it. We can pretty much do it ourselves. We, we people, we're, we're progressing along and we're basically good, despite the fact that our track record really isn't so good if you look at history. A few examples of how God restores the world, um, one would be in Deuteronomy, which says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and he instructs the people, fear the Lord your God and serve him. It also says in Deuteronomy, you shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. And the last verse for that section I wanted to talk about is Micah 6, 8. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So there are some other Mosaic laws regarding debts, restoration of land, and gleaming rights that we don't really have in our culture, but we can see this in the Bible and understand that God is trying to restore, trying to have justice, not just when we die and go and are with him in heaven, um, hopefully, but also here on earth. There was the um, Sabbath year law, which all debts would have to be forgiven after seven years. The law of the Jubilee year, which every 50 years, land would kind of go back to its original allotments. And um, John Piper talks about this uh, in greater detail. He's explained that on average, every family would have a chance once in a lifetime to kind of start over again, no matter how far into debt they may have fallen. There are also these gleaming laws, which probably many of us may only know that because of the story of like Ruth and Boaz, but basically God instruct landowners not to have the crops harvested all the way to like the border's edge, but to leave that for the hired workers and the poor and other people so that they could actually work and harvest their own food because really ultimately the food's not from the landowner it's from God above anyway but God explains why we don't have if why we don't naturally have justice 
In Genesis, after the flood, God observed that every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Some other translations say it differently, something to the effect of man's bent is to do evil. While the next couple verses, two verses I'm going to share with you, were written about a specific people at a specific place and time, we can see ourselves in, in their offenses. In Zechariah, it explains, but they refused to pay attention and turn a stubborn shoulder and stop their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord. And in Malachi, it also says, So I will come to put you on trial, the Lord said. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, and who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and who deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But they do not fear me, says the Lord. And I find this a really interesting verse because some of the earlier uh, offenses mentioned we can kind of be okay with in our society today, but the latter ones are issues that we're still grappling with. Nothing new. And have you ever noticed how everyone wants justice except when it comes to them? Their offense wasn't that bad. Maybe you're only going 60 in the 55. Like, come on, it's five miles, right? No. Um, you know, their offense wasn't so bad. They want a pass uh, or we want mercy, you know. Or in some cases, uh, we don't even recognize that it's an offense at all. It's justice is unnecessary because we didn't do anything wrong. But if you go back a, a moment, the verse mentioned the root cause is that they do not fear God. And I would say when we say we don't, when one doesn't fear God, it's really just pride to say that we've got it. We've got this. And so we have a reality of our failed human attempts. This is the, the human condition and what God um, talks about in the Bible, about sin. Uh, most of you know a lot of these verses, but they're so clear. Uh, in James it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then to follow up, For the wages, what we've earned, the wages of sin is death. When we examine our our life in light of these verses, we can't remain proud because to remain proud would be to ask for an exemption to justice. But God doesn't stop there. He reveals and implements his final redemption plan. We're told in Romans that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And also, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And lastly there, what I would like to um, share is Ephesians 2.8 reminds us, that for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So when we're humble, we can see that Jesus, the only righteous one, made a way for us to become righteous. And I think that many misunderstand somehow uh, they somehow think that we Christians think that we made ourselves righteous. And that's really irritating because nobody wants to be around somebody like that, right? That we made our, somehow made ourselves righteous. But that's not the case. It's in our humility and by the grace of God that we recognize that our only path to be righteous is the Lord's making us that way. Because we, we don't need an exemption from God's justice because Jesus took what we deserved. The solution is substitution, not exemption. Church, let's use this, again, use this universal desire and, and felt need for justice to point ones to God. Justice is on everyone's mind. 
Whether their exact definition or focus is the same as yours or the same as mine, that may or may not be the case, but it's something you can easily engage with them about. Ask your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, what is justice? Why is it important? And how will justice affect you? And chances are they're going to ask you, because that's how a conversation usually works. They're probably going to ask you, but even in it, it would probably be a very natural thing for you to share what you've experienced about God's justice here in our world today, and most importantly, how he made a way for you and for the person you're talking to to live with him forever, despite our unjust actions, or our unjust inactions, for that matter. Lastly, um, I'd like you to think about how can I apply these principles of restorative, uh, reparative, I have a hard time with that word other than the word repair, fix. How, how, can, how can God's principles of restorable ju- restorative justice, to, how can I apply them to an area that I'm passionate about? And when you figure out, like, okay, I, you know, I could do this in this area, then when you're there, share why you're there. Now, some people in our church uh, are passionate about helping parents who are facing obstacles in supporting and um, taking care of young children. And so they volunteer at the Columbia Pregnancy Center. They're seeking to restore what's broken there in the lives of people who are really going through a hard time. Consider your passion. Perhaps it's food. Perhaps it's empowering people to read. Uh, Perhaps it's helping refugees. And whatever it is, do it with a passion from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. Okay, let's pray. Lord, um, we just want to thank you that you are a God of justice and that you have given us a forum um, where we can share our lives with other people and share what we've experienced and what we know about you. And we pray that you would help us to go out with joy and thanksgiving for what you have done and help us to um, share that with others this week. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.